What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. Hi, I'm Angie. And I'm Haley. And this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? June is LGBTQ Pride Month. To celebrate, we're focusing our June episodes on LGBTQ representation in medicine, from experiences of LGBTQ healthcare providers to what it means to provide gender-affirming care. In this episode, we talk with Michael Larson, a recent graduate of UWSMPH, about their experiences as a queer person in medical school and what they envision can change in the medical field. Thank you so much for joining us, Micah. We are so excited to have you as a guest on our podcast. Can we just start by having you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. Uh, so I'm Micah Larson. I use they, them pronouns. I'm currently a fourth year medical student at um, UWSMPH, and I matched into family medicine at the UW-Madison. So I'll be staying here next year with the family medicine program. So we definitely want to talk about your, like, whole experience in medical school as much as you're willing to share. And I think that a really great place to start would be with your personal statement, if you're willing to read part of that to start things off. Yeah, I'll I'll kind of read out the first paragraph of that, um, because I think it's really applicable to the topic we're talking about. Um, So it starts off, hi, I'm Michael Larson, medical student. My pronouns are they, them. When I introduce myself to patients, I don't always add that last sentence. It's not always safe to add that last sentence. Yet from time to time, when I feel courageous enough to include those pronouns, I'm greeted with a glint of recognition in a patient's eyes. I use they, them too, the patient responds, and we have a moment of connection over a shared identity. Being a queer person in the Midwest can be challenging. And medical settings can be a difficult place for LGBTQ plus people to feel safe. On one of my rotations in rural Wisconsin, a medical assistant told me that her teenage daughter, a lesbian, found it encouraging and so cool to know that there was a non-binary medical student working at the clinic. Just by being a queer person in medicine, I was a role model to that young woman. Unfortunately, the positive impact of having physicians who share similar identities to their patients is often overlooked. And I hope to be a queer family medicine physician who provides that point of connection for my patients. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, I think, a very powerful and well-stated example of what we want to talk about. Let's start by going back to pre-medical school. Mm -hmm. What drew you to medicine? 
So I did not start off my undergraduate career wanting to go into medicine. I wanted to go into bioarchaeology, um, so examining biological samples in an archaeological context, so very different from medicine. Um, and I loved studying the anatomy portions of bioarchaeology um, and things like that, but I didn't feel like it had enough of a um, real-world application that it was actually going to be helpful to people in this time and place. And so I volunteered at a um, free clinic for people experiencing homelessness, and I loved that experience. I loved interacting with people in a clinical setting and feeling like I was making a real impact in people's lives. And then um, kind of related to our topic here today, I also have a lot of trans friends as a trans person. You know, I'm very connected in that way. And I had so many trans friends who had horrible experiences in the medical system. And so I wanted to become involved in medicine, firstly, because I knew I enjoyed it, but then also because I felt that I could make a difference as a trans person in medicine for the experience that trans people have. So tough to be a medical student, just in general. What things did you find challenging about being a queer person in medical school? Yeah, I... So I I came into medical school already being out um, and kind of went back into the closet, so to speak, um, for medical school, at least initially, not really knowing how accepting people would be and wanting to make sure that I would have both fellow, fellow medical students and faculty that would be in my corner if I decided to be out in medical school. And so I, I came out probably second year of medical school. Um, when I felt more more comfortable in the community that I had surrounding myself. But the thing that I found most difficult sort of goes along with that, that in our clinical rotations, we have such a short period of time to work with a team, to work with um, attendings, to work with residents, um, that there's not a lot of time to feel out, is this person going to be okay with my identity? Is this person going to be accepting? Are they going to treat me differently, evaluate me differently? if I tell them, hey, I use they, them pronouns. And that's something that I've heard from other queer medical students as well, that, you know, not on the on the pronouns front for anybody, but that they'll say, I, you know, I would usually say my wife, but I say my partner when I'm on rotations, or I would say my husband, but I say my partner when I'm on rotations. Yeah, definitely. I know that, that coming out is such a a deeply personal decision and experience for everyone. And I can't imagine how difficult that would be to try and feel that out like a rotation by rotation basis, but also to have to, to do that again, you know, having been out before medical school and then making that choice a, a second time, essentially. And it, it was funny too, because somebody asked me, um, one of my friends was like, oh, how was it coming out during medical school? And I was like, I didn't really come out during medical school. I came out to you during medical school. Because I, I think that's peop- something that people don't necessarily understand. It's coming out isn't a one-time thing. It's a thing that happens over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really hard when you have to come out in a lot of different contexts, especially a, a professional context. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about you know, like what exactly it was in like your second year that made it made it feel like that was something that you felt safe and and supported doing? 
Yeah, I definitely can. So part of it was between my first and second year, I uh, did a Shapiro project, which I'm sure you guys know, but for any listeners who don't, is a research project that we can do as part of UWSMPH. And I worked with a, a mentor who is part of the LGBTQ plus community, who is faculty at the medical school. And so knowing that I had that person in my corner and knowing that I had established these friendships with people who who were part of um, the same community community as me as well. And then another thing was I felt like I needed to at that point um, going into rotations. I knew that I wanted to have a different name than my birth name. And so I felt like I needed to pick a new name before going into rotations because it was going to be harder the further along in the process that I, I chose to make that change. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, you allude to not only is that like a really big personal thing to do, but logistically, there's a lot that goes into it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's been a very long journey with the name. I, I, so I legally changed my name, um, started at like middle of second year and didn't have it legally changed until July of 2020, which would have been like halfway into phase two um, for me, or I guess a fourth of the way into phase two, because for anybody who doesn't know, it is very expensive to change your name. Um, and it takes a very long time to legally change your name. You have to publish your new name in the paper, which is expensive. And then applying for the court is expensive. And then you have to wait for your court date. So the whole process takes about six months. And from what I remember, it costs about $500. Um, and so for a student who's not making any income, it was definitely a, a financial hardship. But it's different for different hospitals. But for UW Hospital, you actually can't have, as far as anyone has told me, you can't have a name on your badge if it's not your legal name. And because we meet so many different people and because people have to keep different names in mind, people often rely on the badge to be able to say, hey, so-and-so. And so not having my name, my preferred name on my badge was just not not tenable. And still even, I haven't gotten my name completely changed in HealthLink because I've requested that several times. Um, and kind of the school says, oh, it's the hospital's responsibility. The hospital says it's the school's responsibility and went back and forth. And now it's changed for some things, but still for like secure message, sending back and forth to people, it is still my birth name. And so a lot of people will call me by my birth name when they send me a secure message, which is, you know, obviously not preferred. If you're willing, can you speak a little bit more about like other like logistical challenges of being a queer person in medicine? I'm thinking in my own experience, I know that like the scrub machines are in gendered locker rooms. And when mm -hmm. you do, I don't know if either of you ever had to do overnight call uh, at the hospital here, but you have to like tell the school, like, do you want to go into like the men's or women's like student call room, which mm -hmm. for the record is the most sterile room I've ever been in. I don't know why that's gendered. <laughs> like, right. Like it's just beds. Right. <laughs> and like the saddest, most boring beds you could ever find. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there's lots of things like that that are like unnecessarily like binary and I'm sure there are like so many other things that I'm not even thinking of. So what, what has that been like? Yeah. The, the locker rooms is a very good point. I personally 
like don't don't it doesn't matter to me as much to use gendered locker rooms or use gendered restrooms um and so that hasn't been as much of an issue for me but it is you know any time that I, I get asked about, oh, which locker room do you want to use? It's it's just kind of a weird reminder of how much binary we put, we put into things that don't need a binary. And it was it was actually funny and uncomfortable um, when I did my rural rotation. Like my first day doing my rural rotation, the school had passed on to like the administration there that I was non-binary, which I kind of wish they hadn't and had let me make that decision for myself, but I digress. And they, um, the administration person was like, oh, you know, we set aside a different room for you to use if you want as like an impromptu locker room. So you don't have to use any of the gendered locker rooms if you don't want to. And I was like, that, that's nice of you, but I, I didn't really need that. I, you know, it would be nice if you would ask what I need instead of assuming what I need. And one of the attendings that I was working with there um, also like, brought that up to me because he was um, part of the coordination for the rotation and was like, oh, I heard you asked for this like special accommodation. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't actually ask for this special accommodation. And you're kind of making it seem like I am causing trouble for you guys, which is not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be myself. Oh, that's so frustrating. What were some things you saw in medical, like from your classmates or from other trainees in the medical field that made you feel more welcome or that you could be yourself and express yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. One thing that I've seen from everyone from trainees to attendings is people being willing to wear pronoun buttons. Um, even, you know, cis people, or I guess mostly cis people being willing to wear pronoun buttons. And it's just kind of like a symbol of, I am okay with the idea of people having different pronouns than I might assume that they have. Let's see what else. I guess people being thoughtful about the way they ask questions about sexual history. I think there's still, we get taught to ask, do you have sex with men, women, or both? Which is definitely not the best way to put it, but it's it's still um, something that is is hard to phrase, right? Because it's we're asking this very sensitive question, and then we're trying to ask it in the most open way possible, but still a way that's accessible to patients and in patient-friendly language and in a way that they're going to understand. And so I, I understand that that's difficult. It's, you know, difficult for me as well. But just the fact that people are able to talk about how do we want to phrase this and really put thought into how do we want to phrase this. Yeah. So you would mentioned in this first paragraph in your personal statement of bonding with a medical assistant mm -hmm. who had said how it was cool, like her daughter had told you um, how cool it was that you were working at her mom's clinic. I guess what other situations have you found yourself in coming out to patients or bonding with patients over that? And how has it affected patients, but also likely, likewise you as well? So I've had a couple of different experiences where I've, I, so I wear my pronoun button and then I also have a watch with a rainbow band on it. And I've had a couple of different experiences where patients have pointed that out and then come out to me or shared their own pronouns because of it, which is always a really great feeling. Um, I had one patient that I worked with who was a teen who was expressing some suicidal ideation. And so we, you know, were discussing that and discussing other health things, obviously, but 
she then she pointed out my wristband and she's like, oh, is that like a pride thing? And I was like, yeah, it is a pride thing. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. I um, I don't remember what her identity was, but she's like, I, I am, you know, part of the LGBT plus community as well. And I just find that so cool. And, you know, mental health is a is a complicated thing. And, you know, that didn't fix her or anything. But I, I hope that it gave her just a moment of connection and also helped her maybe open up as well more about the things that she was experiencing and kind of was a bright spot within this really difficult time that she was having. Yeah, that's, I feel like very cool to hear stories like that. How have any of the experiences that you've shared with us shaped your interests in medicine or your choice of specialty? Yeah, I guess. So coming into medical school, wanting to, you know, be there for my community, my community of trans folks really directed me towards wanting to go into primary care. And then also having a lens of advocacy and social justice in medicine, um, I think drew me to family medicine as well, because I think family medicine has a tendency to be more look at people as a, as people and look at people holistically and then also have a, a advocacy and social justice and systems-based uh, approach of changing our healthcare system. So when I started in medical school, I knew I wanted to work with underserved populations and be a primary care physician. I'd previously worked at a, as a scribe at a publicly funded multi-specialty clinic for children with high medical needs. Through this experience, I knew that I enjoyed coordination of care for people who needed extra help navigating the complex medical system and that I enjoyed working with children. As I progressed through my clinical rotations, I found that I really appreciated having conversations with adult patients about their conditions. I treasured partnering with my patients to develop strategies for dealing with barriers they faced. I realized that I enjoyed aspects of working with both adults and children. During my family medicine rotation at an FQHC, I was energized by the variety of ages and conditions I saw and the holistic approach that the family medicine doctors took to patient care. I'm proud of my emotional intelligence skills and have worked hard to cultivate a way of being with patients that encourages them to truly engage in a conversation. I often end medical interviews by asking, you know your life better than I do. What did I miss? To emphasize that we are partners in their health and the responses to this question are often unexpected and sometimes crucial to patient care. I saw the family medicine doctors I worked with exhibiting and valuing these traditionally underappreciated interpersonal skills. shift gears a little bit here and talk about the concept of professionalism. That's obviously something that we talk about a lot in medical school. We have these like pretty arbitrary professionalism points that can be given or taken away seemingly on a whim. I'm not going to say more about that, but I have feelings. Um, <laughs> oh, I have feelings about it too. <laughs> but the idea of professionalism, I feel like is so often built upon assumptions about how we present ourselves. And mm -hmm. by that, I mean, professional usually means like presenting as cis, straight, white, etc. I'm interested to hear 
how you think about professionalism. What does professionalism mean to you? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. I totally agree with you that professionalism is often a word that's weaponized against people who are outside of the norm, weaponized against people who aren't cis, straight, white, part of a dominant culture, or, you know, uh, who are neurodivergent. And so I think it's really hard to define professionalism in a way that doesn't incorporate those harmful norms. And so I think for me, professionalism is not necessarily making people comfortable because part of making people comfortable is being what they expect, but keeping your colleagues in mind and keeping their thoughts and feelings in mind and keeping the thoughts and feelings of your patients in mind and acting in a way that demonstrates that concern for the thoughts and feelings of both your patients and your colleagues. Mm -hmm. Are there any examples that come to mind and that you're willing to share of your experiences with professionalism in medical school and how that's expected of us, I guess? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so part of my kind of presentation of how I present myself and my my gender presentation is my hairstyle. I have a, a asymmetrical hairstyle. I shave one side of my head and have the other side long. And part of my concern coming into medical school was, will this be considered professional? Is this going to be something that is going to become a problem? And luckily it hasn't it hasn't been an issue. Um, but just having to have those thoughts about you know, my hairstyle, the way that I dress, if I dress, um, you know, more masculine or more feminine, and even pronoun buttons, one person that I connected with online was a medical student who used they them pronouns and wore a pronoun badge. And one of their attendings wrote in an evaluation of them that they thought that that was unprofessional. And um, so just having to constantly self regulate about these things about professionalism that shouldn't really matter. Yes, we should look nice and present in a way that makes our patients comfortable, but that's also going to depend on what the patients prefer as well. You know, there's some patients that are going to see you wearing, for example, a pantsuit as more respectful and, you know, respecting of their time. And some patients that's going to be really alienating to them and they're going to feel like they're underdressed or they're going to feel like you're, um, lording your position over them. And so for them, wearing jeans and a t-shirt would be more more comforting. And so it's these set of rules that we arbitrarily make thinking that everyone is going to be the most comfortable based on those rules. I like your word choice of comfort. I think that's really interesting. And how do you make people feel comfortable, but also challenge them? Is that something, you know, how do you think about that kind of not dichotomy, but yeah, those two concepts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I am totally fine with with challenging colleagues and challenging, you know, fellow residents or attendings or fellow medical students in the way that I present myself and making them, you know, uh, think about the way that they view the world. I've had a couple of residents and other medical students tell me, oh, you're the first person I've ever met who's used they them pronouns. And like, that's great. 
the first person you meet is not a patient. So you can, you can get to practice on me instead of practicing on a patient. And so I, I love to be that challenge for um, my colleagues. But then on the other hand, for patients, they're in a really vulnerable position and in, in a position where I have a certain amount of power over them. And so I'm definitely less, I don't want to say confrontational, but less um, interested in, in challenging patients for sure. I, for the most part, if patients notice my pronoun button and use my correct pronouns, that's great. If they don't, I, I don't tend to correct patients, especially in the role as a medical student. I'm going to know this person for one day, 15 minutes. Is it really worth it? Yeah, this is something I thought about too in like a totally different context of our rotations are so short, they're only two weeks. And if my attending says something that's very racist or anti-Asian sentiment of sentiment, how how do I feel like saying something, correcting them, potentially coming off as confrontational when I know an evaluation rides on the line, mm-hmm. when I'm gonna be gone in a day off that rotation anyway. So how do you I guess how do you reconcile that and like standing up like as a medical student and then also thinking forward like as a re- as an intern pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a difficult question and you know you bring up great points you, there is an evaluation on the line and as much as you want to be like I'm doing this for the better of of people you have to get good evaluations if you want to progress through medical school. <laughs> and so the the compromise that I've kind of landed on is um in unless I think it's going to be received well. I I typically don't bring it up with attendings directly unless I have a relationship with that attending and and think they're going to receive it well. But on the other hand, it's a two-week rotation for me, but what about the people who come after me? Or what about the patients who fall into a particular group um, that this attending is saying something that's inappropriate or or biased against? So I think that's where our... like. mistreatment forms can really come into handy. Um, I've definitely filled out a couple of those for attendings who have said things that are racist or that are homophobic. And so that it is anonymous to a certain extent, although some most of the time the attendings are going to know who it came from if it's a specific incident that gets addressed with them. But you can also ask them not to investigate that incident until you're done with that rotation. I think that we're best able to care for patients when we can bring our full selves to medicine. And I think that looks different in different ways. But I'm curious if there are specific ways that you think being a queer person has made you a better doctor. I think that there's a lot of ways that being a queer person has made me a better doctor. Um, And maybe that's just my pro-queer bias, but I feel like there's enough anti-queer bias out there that I can have some pro-queer bias. Um, But I I think one of the things, especially applicable to family medicine, is recognizing that there's different ways in which people build a family. There's different ways in which people build a community. And then being, being open to different ways that people are going to express themselves. I've found it surprising in some of my rotations, how quick people are to assume that somebody has a mental health diagnosis or a a, um, personality uh, disorder based on the way that they express themselves. And I think that's that's something that is not appropriate in in many contexts. Um, And so understanding that there's a wide variety of people out there. And just because people don't 
always express themselves in a way that fits with your perception of how they should be doesn't mean that there is something wrong with them. My passion for family medicine further grew during a family medicine rotation in rural Wisconsin with a preceptor with a deep interest and experience in transgender health. Her patients traveled hours to see her because of the scarcity of physicians providing hormone replacement therapy in that region. I admired her well-balanced approach of knowledge sharing and cultural humility in the face of a culture she was not a part of. I chose a career in medicine because I wanted to provide much-needed compassionate care to the LGBTQ plus community to which I belong, as well as other underserved communities. These rotations in family medicine solidified for me that becoming a family med doctor will help me achieve this goal. So... I want to talk a little bit about, like, what is your vision for your career? Like, dream career, what what does that look like for you? Yeah. So family medicine ha- is great because it has so many different options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least to me, it's great because it has so many different options. You have the option to do all outpatient if you want to, or do some inpatient and some outpatient. And I um, so far have loved doing inpatient, loved doing outpatient. And so I want to have both of those as parts of my future career. I want to work someplace about Madison-sized. I would love to stay in Madison long-term. It's my hometown as well. And I really want to have working with trans patients as a big part of my future practice. You know, it's, it's part of what got me into medicine, working with that population specifically. And it's it's something that has energized me throughout medical school, thinking that this is a population that I can serve and um, really bring good medical care to. Just circling back to what you mentioned earlier about kind of setting the stage for people to come after you, after us in training, um, hopefully creating a an environment that's better for them mm-hmm. um, when they train and they go through the certain steps that we've gone through. What are some things you hope to see change in the future that could get better? I think that medical schools in general and our medical school in particular could do a better job of supporting their LGBTQ plus students and making it clear that the medical school will have the students back in cases where there is an attending or even a resident or, you know, someone in a position of power who is being discriminatory. And I I think that that's probably true for other underrepresented folks in medicine as well. So that's something that I'd like to see change. Um, I think that there's good steps that have been taken, but there's definitely more steps in the future as well. I think that's something that would be really easy for Uh, teams to do in terms of rotations is, you know, we usually always have a time where everybody on the team is introducing themselves on on the first day. And a really simple step would be to, for the person who is leading the team to normalize saying pronouns during that introduction, because that just makes it, you know, if if you're doing that all the time, then somebody who has, you know, pronouns that uh, people aren't going to assume are their pronouns is going to be more comfortable introducing themselves with their pronouns. 
another thing I hope changes in the future is I, I hope there's more LGBTQ plus doctors. I, I hope that we become not an underrepresented group in the future. What else? I, so there was a, a study that I looked at before I joined medical school that on average, including clinical and non-clinical training, it was a research out of Stanford that medical students received an average of 10 hours of training on working with LGBTQ plus populations, which you know can seem like a lot if you don't factor in that's over four years, over countless hours of training. And so I hope that's something that changes in the future. I hope that in the future, both in you know board style questions, in uh, standardized patients that we have, in you know, our vignettes for things like PACE cases or things like that, that we have a bigger diversity of the patients that are presented there and that it just is incorporated in a way that's more natural. As of right now, you know, if, if in a board question you hear that someone is gay, you're supposed to think about HIV or you're supposed to think about specific things that are specific to that population when really that shouldn't be the case. I think that in a way our questions and our standardized tests teach us to discriminate in a certain way and have differentials that are have narrower differentials for certain populations. Um, so I'd like to see that change in the future as well. There's a thing called transgender broken arm syndrome, which is a term for when trans people go in for a concern that's completely unrelated to their gender identity, um, say a broken arm, and they go in and, and providers ask things that are inappropriate or do exams that are inappropriate, like, oh, I think I need to see your scars from your gender mastectomy, or I think I need to know about like your hormone regimen. That has nothing to do with my arm. And I, I know that in a, for a certain amount, it is because in medicine in general, we want to have as much information about past medical history and things like that. But I, I think having a greater sensitivity for providers that these questions are going to be questions that might be sensitive for someone and asking those questions might alter the perception that that patient has of you as well. Mm-hmm. If I ask you to share a moment of joy from medical school, what comes to mind for you? It's it's hard because I think there's kind of two aspects of joy that I would think about in terms of moments where I've had joy. One is a moment of, it sounds weird and contradictory, but sad joy. Moments where I've had these like deep connections with patients about things that are really sad times in their life um, or really difficult for them. But then there's also the joy behind that, that they shared that sadness with me and are comfortable enough to share it with me and that I have, you know, cultivated a way of being with patients that they are comfortable to do so. Um, One that comes to mind is when I was on inpatient, there was this older woman who was hospitalized and I, I don't remember what her underlying diagnosis was, but she told me about how she was experiencing suicidal ideation. And she said, I've never said this to anybody. I've not said it to any other doctors. I've not said it to any family members, any friends or anything. And and so that was, you know, a, a very heavy moment. But at the same time, it was a moment of joy of being able to be the person that she shared that with. In terms of moments of joy that aren't sad or not not downers in any way, you know, 
being able to get feedback from good feedback from people always feels good. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have had a similar experience, but as med students, I think we always catch the moments where we're not doing great. We always catch the moments where we mess up. And so I think it's really great when attendings or residents who are giving us feedback are able to say, yes, these are some things you could do better on. But also, here's something that I noticed that you did really well on. Here's something that I noticed that I I think you're really adept at. And then in terms of um, your own experiences with support groups or resources, I'm curious. I know UWSMPH has um, a lot, but also are there for people who don't go to UWSMPH, whether it's online or anywhere else, what have you found solace in during your time in medical school? Yeah, I I think it's going to be so individual for different people. I would encourage people to try and find connections within medicine. Pride in Healthcare is a um, group that has a UWSMPH chapter and as well has um, chapters at other medical schools as well. And so that can be a really important connection. And then finding attendings or um, residents or you know, people who are, are higher up in training or farther along in training than you that you can connect with who share similar identities is really important. But then a, a, another thing that's really important is connecting with queer people or LGBTQ plus people who are not in medicine and connecting with people in the community who are not in medicine and are local kind of to keep to keep a perspective since medicine can be such a straight cis world being able to find that place where you're not a minority and finding a, a community where you are among peers is really important. So I would love to share some resources that people can go to to learn more about transgender health. There is uh, the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, WPATH. And then there is also at UCSF, University of California at San Francisco, San Francisco has some really great resources as well. And there is a local Wisconsin resource called the Wisconsin Transgender Health Coalition. So there's the Wisconsin Transgender Health Coalition. And one plug that I'd like to do for that is the Wisconsin Transgender Health Coalition runs a directory of providers who are competent in transgender care. If you are a provider who feels competent in transgender care or are willing to learn skills to be competent in transgender care and would like to add yourself to that directory, that would be great in terms of expanding it. If you could share one message with other LGBTQ plus folks in medicine, what would that be? You're not alone. There are other people in medicine who are also LGBTQ plus, even if it doesn't feel like it in the particular situation or context you're in right now. And there are patients that you're going to interact with who are going to appreciate you who, for who you are and who are going to take inspiration and joy and connection from those interactions. Thank you so much for joining us, Micah. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Links to the resources discussed in this episode can be found in the episode description. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. We'll see you for our follow-up episode in two weeks. Have a nice day. Funding for What Brings You In Today is provided by the Kern Foundation.